How are you, darling? Hello, I am fucking fantastic. I'm full of food from Thanksgiving, and I should be oh yeah, absolutely rolled everywhere at this point in my life. <laughs> How the fuck are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be seeing your gorgeous face. Yay, you're back. You survived Florida. Huzzah. I did, against all odds. I know, right? Well, it's a fucking crapshoot down there, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'm very happy to be home. I'm very happy to be seeing your beautiful face. I'm happy and to see I'm your beautiful very face. Happy. <laughs> I'm happy you're back. Me too. I'm very happy I'm back. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to the flight attendant yesterday gave me a free Prosecco. You're Fuck amazing. Yeah. I'm obsessed with you. Um, because I guess she too understood the dire circumstance that <laughs> she saw your need and she was like, I yes. can fix this situation very, She's very like, easily. Let me just, girl, I got you. Yeah. Make we ran out better. of red wine. I got Prosecco. Is that cool oh, with that's, you? That's fucking lovely. Works great. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> But you had a good uh, a good Thanksgiving? I did. I did have a good Thanksgiving. I had a very quiet, low-key Thanksgiving. It was just me nice. and Johnny and Baloo, the giant Great Dane that I occasionally yes. dog sit for. Uh, it was nice. also our anniversary, so I Happy had anniversary! Yeah, thanks. Is it five years? Seven. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, whoops, yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, so congratulations thanks um we've realized it's actually really annoying to have an anniversary near thanksgiving and sure. i genuinely was like we, we can just pick another day if you want it really doesn't bother me <laughs> <laughs> and i literally just like offered to change our anniversary johnny was like i think we have to get married and i was like you really don't you can just pick whatever day you want like yeah. you make your own rules march 14th how about that there you go i don't think that's around anything fucking be- it's both my parents like birthdays back to back. <laughs> it's like the day after that. Yep. Just kidding. JK. For probably no one else is that really a big date, but for me especially. I have this tendency of dating men in November for some reason. Who like who are born in it's November rather? Cuffing season. Yep. I oh, guess. Oh, oh, they're born well, they're, in November. Okay. They're born in November. Not you start yeah. dating them in November. I got gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I, I was dating this guy who was born in November and, uh, and our anniversary was on, in January. So October is my birthday. November was his birthday. December was Christmas. Christmas. January was our anniversary. And New Year's. February was Valentine's Day. It's like, it's too much. I'm spending too much money. We're doing too many things. Like, And it was just like back to back to back to back. Like it was, there was nothing else spread out Ugh. the rest of the year. It was just all within five months was everything. Yes. That's how Johnny feels because I feel like a lot of his like relatives' birthdays are December, so it's like our anniversary, Oof. his sister, his mom, Christmas, like New Year's again, like you said, right. Valentine's Day. It's just like nonstop. Yeah. So whoever decided holidays, like get your shit together. You didn't have like a color coordinated Excel sheet that you could have like helped spread helped this shit out? out. Yeah, come on, seriously. Do, whoever was like, yeah, we're gonna have you have to have dinner with your family and probably have it with like like that racist uncle that you don't really talk to you're gonna have to fucking deal with him (laughs) and then three weeks later you're gonna have to deal with him again for christmas slash hanukkah slash kwanzaa get the fuck out of here who thought that shit up right you need like a six month 
gap in between both of those. So that by the time that the next holiday rolled around, you you would have forgotten the horrors yes. previous ones so that you could go through it, like women giving birth. Yes. The only reason they have more kids is because they forget the trauma it wasn't that bad. of labor. It's fine. <laughs> you can do it again. Sure. Uh, I didn't like curse you and your parents and like wish you were dead and tell you I was going to murder you while uh, going through labor. Totally fine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, this is another fucking horror podcast, kids. I'm Monique Sanchez. I am Amy Trayton. Welcome. So, right? welcome. <laughs> welcome to the shit show. Right? As I always say to my mother. Too real. That's who came up with the Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas so close to each other, by the way. It was a mom who was like, um, I never see you. And I know I just saw you, but like, I can see you again, right? Like, you I can know. come over. Yeah. I haven't traumatized you enough. And dissected your life choices enough in this time period. It made you feel bad about them. I mean, that goes hand in hand. It's like turkey and gravy. Obviously. And yeah, like, what are you doing with your life? Why have you disappointed yeah. me? Yeah. When are you moving back home? Yes. Why aren't you married? Clock is ticking. <laughs> you better believe I heard that a ton. Side Clock of... is ticking. You're not getting oh, any no. younger. Pretty soon, no one's going to want you. Oh, my God. Stop it. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, I, I want you. You can come live with me whenever you want. I want you and I love you. So it all works out. It's Fuck fucking yeah. great. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, I hope other people had a nice Thanksgiving and didn't yeah. have to deal with that bullshit. Yeah. And just like had a wonderful family dinner where everyone was like loving and like told nice yeah. stories and played games. Yeah. And it was just like no one got upset or too drunk or yeah. Totally. Off. What's or that gave like? their opinions on the recent state <laughs> of the country. <laughs> politics <laughs> you know what general rule keep it to yourself just keep it to yourself yeah. that's fine yep. and if you had a suboptimal thanksgiving i hope that you came across a hero flight attendant who gave you free prosecco there you go there you go that's my wish that's my wish for you yeah or maybe it's just like your cool cousin who's like hey you want to go for a walk wink wink and then you're like yeah i fucking want to <laughs> go for a walk do. thank you <laughs> facts uh i'm that cousin for the record (laughs) oh same i'm the one who's like i can tell you're ready to murder somebody let me help you out i'm gonna take care of this i feel like i'm not even at that point i just like extricate myself immediately i it's like i mean if you want to come with me that's on you i'm leaving (laughs) i'm i'm gonna go one foot out the door yeah goodbye Uh, do you have any good recommendations for the week? I haven't. I, I don't have anything. Uh, I just slept a lot. Oh, my God. Uh, which is a luxury. You deserved it. You needed it. Girl. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, because turns out um, the best way to get over being sick is rest. Who the fuck knew, <laughs> right? I think, I've, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> I think that's like, I thought it was like an old wives tale, but I, yeah. Some rumors. I did see uh, today... Because I have a, a bus stop right in front of my apartment, so that's how I find out about a lot of <laughs> I know. It's so funny to me, and I love it. Yeah, you're like, I saw a billboard, and I'm like, what? Uh, apparently, there's a new film by Paul Thomas Anderson called Licorice Pizza that's oh, out. Ew. And I believe it features Philip Seymour Hoffman's son Oh. In it. And Philip Seymour Hoffman used to work a lot with Paul Thomas Anderson. And apparently, it's broken a bunch of post-pandemic quote-unquote post 
pandemic box office records. Wow. That's very good. Yeah. I mean, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. So. Can't really remember um, But that's it. I didn't watch anything, really. Uh, I just slept and was told that um, the time was ticking on me, <laughs> um, that no one would ever love me. And so, you were you know. emotionally abused. Yes, that's what happened. Yes. yes. Yeah, that was that was kind of how I spent uh, the few days in Miami. <laughs> Yay, the holidays. (laughs) Um, Well, Uh, I went back on our on your recommendation list and Johnny ended up putting on the White Lotus. Oh, shit. um, Which I got like immediately sucked into. And I hate myself. for binge watching like five episodes when I like had shit to be doing and I shouldn't have been doing that. But it was so fucking good. And I I'm like, oh, I can't wait to finish it. I'm like really sucked into it. I might have to like do that today. It's so good. I because I think it's only six episodes. No. Oh, is it? Okay. I didn't realize. I, think... I was thinking it was longer. Um, I could be wrong, but I thought it was six episodes. You're. It's fucking phenomenal. The acting's amazing. The uh, music really gets me. So good. It's so good. Um, I will. You know what? Steve Zahn. Everyone sleeps on Steve Zahn, but he's fucking incredible. Yeah, he's and, really like, fucking attention great. must be paid. <sighs> the awkwardness of all of the show, though. Everything. Like, I have, like, smacked Johnny's arm multiple times, like, put my hand in my head. I'll be, like, gasp. It's like when I watched The Office for the first time and I just, like, yeah. wasn't used to all the social awkwardness. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. It's fucking – Yeah. It's so good, though. I'm so sucked in. Yeah, I love Mike White, uh, who wrote and directed the series. Fucking He's phenomenal. Just fucking I great. blew Johnny's mind because he didn't know that that's who did it. And he was like, do you yeah. know anything about this show? And I was like, well, Monique highly recommended it. She fucking loved it. And I was like, and Mike White, who was obviously wrote School of Rock and was on Survivor, it did wrote and directed it. And he was like, wait, what? Monique. I stop everything. There's a scene where a guy walks in and I go, that guy looks so fucking familiar. I like who is that? And he looks up one of the survivors, plays like a bartender in the fucking thing. No and shit. And we literally picked him out of the fucking yes, of the show. That's hysterical. Yes, of like that guy looks familiar. We for sure know him from something else. And it was another survivor. I love it. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. Oh my gosh. Uh you have to obviously tell me when you finish watching yes. all of it. Yes, I will. I oh it's just so fucking good. Uh, it's so good. Even, like, so my, the awkwardness, the physical awkwardness of it, like, can't take me away from it. Yeah. Which I feel like really and says something, because I fucking hate to feel awkward. Jennifer Coolidge. Like, it's just, <sighs> uh Everyone's so great. So fucking great. Connie Britton's blowout in everything is just a sight to behold. Yes. One, she's amazing. Yes. But her hair is just, it like, needs, flawless. like, a separate credit. Oh, my God, I know. The whole uh, time I'm, like, mesmerized, I'm like, what? My hair just, like, looks so, like, limp and dull and nothing. Girl. Sad. Blow out for days. Blow out for days. So good. Uh, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. I fucking love it. I also watched the South Park post-COVID special. Oh. Which was really good and really funny and highly recommended. So. Noted. Good to know. You're not a big South Park fan, I feel like. We've talked about this. Uh, no, I really appreciate that they're equal opportunity offenders. Yeah. But they just really cross the line a lot for me in the oh, vulgarity yeah, yeah. department. And to the gross point of it, I understand. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a, a gross person. Mm-hmm. And it can be very, like... And they do it a lot. Like, I remember... Yeah. 
like scatological humor and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, that's just so not my vibe at all. I remember one of them. And this is ages because I've only seen like a handful of episodes, and there's one of them that like he's like following his dad around to get ideas for his mom. Like one of them was following his dad to get ideas for his mom about like what to get him for his birthday or some shit, and like finds him at like some sex club and he's like jerking off on like a dirty like mattress i'm like this is like so much emotionally for me i and i understand that it's like construction paper that's cut out but i like cannot <laughs> literally cartoon, yeah um like that's fair but that's that, totally fair you know the episodes that i i do enjoy don't have that like i think the you got served episode is hysterical <gasps> um that is a good one it's a great episode uh you know, I, I think I think they're really funny and I think they're really brilliant. I think that's a word that gets used a lot, but I do think they're really brilliant. It's I, yeah. just oftentimes not my brand of humor. Totally fine. But I very much respect everything they do. I accept this answer. So yeah. if anyone out there is a fan of South Park and is not grossed out by them, check it out. Highly <laughs> recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, anything else? No, that's that's pretty much it. That's my big exciting life. Girl. We yeah. got some spooky shit happening. We? I don't know if we can top the the fact that you got an alien story last week, though. Uh, oh, no. Excited. I'm still not over it, Monique. I, like, I have thought about it so much. I can't even express I've to you. Gotten, I got multiple DMs from listeners of people saying they were so happy you finally got your story. I was so you happy. finally got your alien story. And I... <laughs> Because I was out in Long Island, which doesn't have a lot of streetlights and is very dark. Uh, did I, anytime I went outside, look up like an insane person waiting for it? Yeah. Of uh, uh, fucking course I did. Yes. Did that I'm make logical sense? No. But am I sticking by it? Yes. I'm obsessed with you. Oh, yeah. It happened every single time. I love it. <laughs> Nothing happened. Honestly. You wanted too much, want Amy. It. You wanted too bad. I know. The problem is the only time it's going to happen to me is like when I'm going to be like, borderline blackout drunk and then the next day I'm gonna be like oh did that actually happen yeah did that actually happen and then or did I convince myself and now I don't even believe like my own version of this I will absolutely like fall in line and tell everyone whatever you tell me I'll be like absolutely this shit fucking happened I was there that is a fucking true friend right there. That is a fucking right or die. Percent. I fucking love you, Monique. I would not make you do that, fuck but I fucking bar- love you. Fuck helping your friend bury the bodies. I'm the friend who will vouch being like, she absolutely <laughs> saw a fire in the sky, motherfucker. I believe her. She would never lie about this. Never. Uh, I got you. That's fucking solid right there. <laughs> fucking partner, I got in, you, boo. partner in true crime. I fucking Goddamn love right. It. Love it. All right. Are you ready for a little... I'm fucking ready, baby. Little... I don't... It's a little spooky. I don't know if it's, like, really spooky. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So today, I'm going to take you to what I'm calling the cryptid corner. (gasps) Because I love an alliteration, and you love an alliteration. Absolutely fucking right. Yeah. So I feel like we don't cover, like, that many cryptids, so I was like, I feel like I had to throw one in, you know, for shits and giggles. Absolutely. Uh, so today I am going to tell you about, and you're going to have to forgive my pronunciation on a lot of this. I looked up a lot and I'm going to try really hard on the pronunciation of this, but it is uh, a lot of Gaelic. So I'm oh, not Scottish and I might butcher this terribly, but my intent is good. A for effort. Yes. Thank you. So today I'm going to tell you about Um for Lee Moore otherwise known as the Big Gray Man of Ben McDewey. 
Get the fuck out. Girl. Sources. The Big Grey Man of Ben McDewey by Affleck Grey, undiscoveredscotland.co.uk, bbc.com, scotsman.com, brooklyn.cuny.edu, and good old Wikipedia. Got to. Now, most of this information comes from the book The Big Grey Man of Ben McDewey by Affleck Grey, who, while he hasn't had his own personal encounter with the Grey Man, has held a lifelong interest in the subject and a deep and abiding love for the mountains where Ben McDewey is located. As a young man, he roamed the glens, quarries, and peaks, and he found caves and homemade shelters amid the rocks and regularly slept out there, camping for weeks on end, alone or with a companion, on the high plateau of the Cairngorms. The Amferly Moor, also known as the Big Grey Man, is the presence or creature that is said to reside on Ben McDewey, the highest peak in the Cairngorm Mountains and the second highest mountain in Scotland. The terrain there is rugged with extensive boulder fields and cliffs, and the weather is mostly cold and nasty. Why the fuck would you go there? I also understand right. that's like the vibe of Scotland. It's Scotland. That's like everywhere, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I but, know, but don't choose to go there. This, like, stay in a nice little yes. cottage with a fire. Don't, like, go into these awful, cold Swars and nasty your life up. Yeah, mountains. But I mean, you know, the Scots are a hardy people. They're like a rugged. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. They have that Scots blood. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Rarely seen, but frequently heard, the gray man's presence is characterized by an overwhelming feeling of dread, the unnerving sensation of being followed, and the sound of dragging or crunching footsteps. Get the fuck out. That's so creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially, like, in the middle of nowhere, in the fucking woods, in the cold. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. On the rare occasions the gray man has been seen, he is typically, as you probably guessed, a large humanoid creature. While not necessarily reported as gray in physical appearance, the gray man is usually seen as a shadowy figure and is accompanied by a thick mist, hence mm. the gray appearance. Ah, okay. While it may seem as though the gray man must surely have its origin in ancient Highland mythology, the legend actually surfaced relatively recently. Affleck Gray, the author, said despite exhaustive research, he failed to discover any reputable or definitive reference to the gray man in any Highland legend before the late 18th century. The first recorded account of a gray man encounter occurred in November of 1925, although the incident itself took place in 1891. The account was published in the Cairngorm Club Journal, the story having occurred at their 27th annual general meeting of the Cairngorm Club in Aberdeen. And the story came from none other than the club's honorary president, Professor Norman Colley. Oh, shit. Yep. But before we get into the story... Let me give you a little background on the professor here. Professor Colley was an English scientist with a passion for mountaineering. He earned his PhD in chemistry and was the first professor of organic chemistry at University College London before eventually heading the chemistry department there. He was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society, which is the oldest scientific academy in continuous existence, and they remarked upon his, quote, acute faculty of observation, end quote. This guy's not fucking around. Uh, he's not fucking around. Uh, just in case, like, that wasn't enough, he also constructed the first neon lamp, proposed a dynamic oh, structure shit! for benzene, yeah, discovered the first oxonium salt, and his research led to the taking of the first x-ray for diagnosing medical <gasps> conditions. Like, this guy's amazing. This he guy time it is. is for fucking real. He's, like, not a joke. Seriously. 
Yeah, Hold he's on. not like banshees are a thing. Yeah, no. Also, he's like, I'm fucking I mean, I think they're a thing, but you know. <laughs> but I'm also not like an organic chemistry person. I'm a fucking actor. Uh, I am a chemistry person, and this is still fucking crazy and insane. Like, what? Jesus. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, so this guy, he's not a schlub. He's not a schlub. And if you thought his chemistry career was impressive, that's got nothing on his mountaineering. Because Norman Colley has been described as one of the greatest climbers of his generation and is oh, shit. best remembered for his pioneering climbs on the Kulilin in the Isle of Skye. His experience also includes the Himalayas, the Caucasus, the Alps, the Rockies, and of course, the Cairngorms of Scotland. So, and this is the 1800s, right? Late 1800s, yeah. So, okay, like, equipment is not now, obviously. No. No. Like, but yeah, mountain climbing back then is, like, fucking terrifying and taking your fucking life in your hands every single fucking time. They can't helicopter yes. your ass out because you fucking fucked up. Or like they do <laughs> right, now on exactly. Everest. If you fuck up, they'll come get you with a fucking helicopter. Like, no. If you fuck up, you're dead up there. Yeah. All right. This guy is not fucking around. He's not fucking around. So, yeah, this isn't some amateur out for a hike who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing and might get easily scared out in the wilderness. Like, this man is a scientist and an incredibly experienced mountaineer. So, obviously, it came as quite the surprise when Kali confessed publicly at an annual meeting of experienced mountaineers, of which he was honorary president, again, that he had experienced the most intense fear of his life while climbing alone on Ben McDewey nearly 35 years earlier. Holy shit. Yep. Quote, I was returning from the cairn on the summit in a mist when I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. For every few steps I took, I heard a crunch and then <gasps> another crunch uh -uh. as if something was walking after me, but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. Get the fuck out. Right? I said That's to him. That's terrifying. Fuck no. Out of there immediately running. I mm -hmm. give zero fucks. I said to myself, this is all nonsense. I listened and heard it again, but could see nothing in the mist. As I walked on and the eerie crunch, crunch sounded behind me, I was seized with terror and took to my <gasps> heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles, nearly down to Rothy Mercus Forest. Whatever you make of it, I do not know, but there is something very queer about the top of Ben McDewey, and I will not go back there again by myself, I know. End quote. Again, experienced mountaineer, scientist, like, I don't really think he's, like, gonna be scared by some noises very easily. Right, or just, like, I, I would imagine he's seen some shit and can differentiate, like, you know, a wolf or some shit. I, I have no idea what the, the light wildlife is in Scotland. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think there are wolves, I don't know if yeah. wolves yeah. roam the, the highlands of Scotland. I have no fucking idea. I'm sorry. Um, even And I've been there, which is fucking horrendous. Uh, I sh but I d didn't did see not a wolf, go to the so mountains. There you go, yeah. I didn't see a wolf. No. There wasn't a wolf in the fucking castle or whatever the fuck I was saying. I got I hope not. Um, no, you have bigger right? problems um, if you have a first wolf. First yeah. world problem. <laughs> There's a wolf in my castle. <laughs> God damn it. What the fuck? Whereas other people are like, I'm not going to fuck with this castle unless there's a wolf in it. You hear that? <laughs> fuck you. But I would imagine since he's this really experienced hiker and he's like from Scotland that he knows. He's technically English. He just okay. has, he has traveled that area extensively. 
I'm not going to say same difference because I do know there's a difference and I don't want <laughs> they people get, going they get into my They get very mad at that. Yeah, they, they don't get like very that. mad at that. That's it. not cool. Um, yeah. But, okay, so he's very familiar with Scotland. Yes. And the mountains. So I think he would know the difference between, like, another dude or whatever the wildlife is in the mountains of Scotland versus some, like, misty, like, lost smoke monster situation happening. Yes. Yeah. This is... Yeah. <laughs> Right? He knows better. What the He's fuck? Not, he doesn't think it's a fucking smoke monster. Yeah. No. You know the difference. Yes. Correct. At least this man, who is the head at least of he the does. chemistry department at the University yes. College of London, knows. Who created yeah. neon lights. Yeah. And like x-rays, basically. NBD. Yeah. <laughs> and what have you done with your life? Answer that question at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Did you invent the neon light? No, you didn't. Uh, that is my grandmother's favorite question is like, what are you doing with your chemistry degree? To which the answer is nothing. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> Storing it in my closet, literally. <laughs> hey, you impressed me with those I random am, factors I'm impressing random people with it. That's what I'm doing with it, Grandma. Come on. Yeah. If that's plenty. Like, right? It's like the whole yeah. reason I got it. it was just to impress people. So... Obviously, Professor Colley's story has been repeated frequently since then, and obviously a certain amount of creative liberties are taken when it's repeated, usually in the form of Colley having said he'd seen a huge gray figure. However, he never, I basically read the whole mm. thing, he never once right. mentions a figure and only ever says he heard those strange and terrifying footsteps following him. But like admitted, he's an experienced man, he admitted to like running down the mountain in terror. In yeah. front of, like, his whole group of mountaineers. Like, I just think that's, like, very strange. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree. So, skeptics dismissed Kali's story, saying it was nothing more than a little after-dinner euphoria, or he'd had a little too much to drink. What? I don't, I don't know if that's, like, a British thing. They're like, oh! You I've had too many, <laughs> you know, bangers and mash, and <laughs> now I... That tryptophan like from the... Hallucinating yeah, like what? Fingers? From the turkey is really... Uh, <laughs> What kind of fucking shit are you putting in your food over there? I have no idea. Okay. That possibly when feeling annoyed that he was unexpectedly asked to speak at a climbing club dinner in Edinburgh, he got up and told the gray man experience. It's been reported by a few people that he may have confessed afterward that make the story up on the spur of the moment. However, it was reported in like the Karen Club Journal that he said this at this meeting. So if he had like rescinded it kind of immediately, I feel like they wouldn't have published it and it would have very clearly like gone out with that tagline yet. Also, I would imagine if you're going to make up a story, you don't make it out that you're you like, were terrified. Yes! You make it out to be like, I saw this fucking like 57 foot monster and I battled that motherfucker to the death. Right? Fuck yeah, I'm amazing. Yes. I like, I don't think people make up stories where they look like the asshole. <laughs> right? So there was another story, which I didn't include, because I was like, <sighs> it's just like sounds ridiculous, where basically like that happened, where the guy like said he saw the giant figure coming towards him and he happened to have like his revolver on him for small game. And he like literally like shot at it three times and like was convinced he basically like shot the big gray man. And I was like, I I'm not including this because I don't believe that. That seems ridiculous. But if you were going to tell a story, if wouldn't it name be that one? Right. And also, if your name isn't Henry Jones Jr., a.k.a. Indiana Jones, I'm not buying that bullshit. Get the fuck out of here. 
Um, Indiana was the no. dog's name. I didn't even recognize it, Monique. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. I literally been like, who the fuck is that? Henry Jones Jr. Um, he's the only one allowed to be like, I'm too tired to fight this shit. I'm just going to shoot you three times. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But no, that, exactly. That's the story that you tell. If you're going to make up a story and be like, there's this crazy smoke monster and I battled it, you're not going to be like, it scared the shit out of me and I ran away. Yeah. And especially someone with a pedigree like this dude. Yeah. And like, you didn't even see anything. You just heard crunching behind you and you ran down a mountain? Yeah, no. Come on. Okay. I'm not buying it. Yep. Glad we're on the same page with this, Monique. Of course we are. Those who knew Kali instantly dismissed those explanations, claiming all would have been out of character for him. Hamish Corey, upon meeting him in 1920, said Professor Kali was, quote, sardonic and dry as dust in manner. He did not suffer <laughs> fools gladly, end quote. I love it. Fuck yes. There were also those who, while they might have believed the story, believed there was a scientific explanation for the sound of crunching footsteps that seemed to okay. follow Professor Colley that he didn't think of or didn't believe happened. Letters written to the press suggested everything from falling stones to wind in the gullies to deer. Yeah. However, none of those explanations... I mean, but you know yeah. what a deer sounds like. Right? And, like, it's a rhythmic thing. Yeah. That, like, they got four legs. Uh, yeah. No. Deer, not deer are not that, uh, are not that, like, repetitive. You just have, like, a sure. million of them in our fucking backyard, and they're just, no. There's no way. And uh, you're going to say you've never heard a fucking deer before in Scotland? Right? Seen one? Get the fuck out on of here. On the snow? Come on. I'm not buying this. Right? Well, neither did fucking Kali because, again, although he was a man of science, he was never able to arrive at any logical explanation of the uncanny something that he sensed and the strange footsteps he heard. So while Professor Kali's is technically the first recorded account of the gray man, despite not actually having seen a gray man, there does appear to be evidence, although it is admittedly limited and difficult to substantiate, that the phenomenon of Amferly Moore had existed prior to Kali. Just mm. the fact that the Gaelic name has lingered in an area where the language has barely survived the past 50 years seems significant. Affleck Ray believes that the fact that a Gaelic name for the phenomenon exists suggests that there must have been a local tradition about it at some point. Otherwise, mm. where the fuck did this phrase come from? Right, of course. He was even told a story by a man named Hugh Welsh who heard the sound of quote, slurring footsteps as if somebody was walking slowly through water-saturated gravel, end quote, on Ben McDewey in the summer of 1904, when he and his mm. brother spent a couple of weeks camping near the Summit Cairns. Afterwards, Welsh asked John McIntosh about the strange slurring footsteps he had heard, and McIntosh's reply, whether he was joking or otherwise, was, quote, that would have been the fairly more you had heard, end quote. Mm. So... While the evidence is limited, it seems as though the legend of the Grey Man has been a part of Scottish folklore for far longer than originally thought. Mm. Now, as you can imagine, news of Professor Colley's strange story spread and eventually reached Dr. A.M. Kellis, a well-known Scottish mountaineer who pioneered climbs in the Himalayas and who eventually died while taking part in the first reconnaissance of Mount Everest. Damn. Right? I mean, he, he died doing what he loved. I, I'll give him that. Yeah. 
When Kellis heard what Kali had described, he shared with him his own experience with the gray man. Unfortunately, Kellis, who was a lecturer in chemistry in the medical school of the Middlesex Hospital at the time, didn't record the experience himself. So the accounts are secondhand, and again, mm-hmm. people take liberties. Sure. However, the most reputable account came from W.G. Robertson, who was lifelong friends with Henry Kellis, Dr. Kellis's brother. Robertson wrote a letter to the Aberdeen Press and Journal in December of 1925 about what he knew of Dr. Kellis's experience. According to him, the brothers had been chipping for crystals in the late afternoon well below the cairn on Ben McDewey. Suddenly, they became aware of a giant figure coming down towards them from the cairn. (gasps) They saw it pass out of sight in a dip in the terrain and awaited its reappearance. Mm -mm. But suddenly, they were possessed by an uncontrollable fear and immediately fled. They could feel it following them and ran faster down the mountain to escape it. Henry said there had been mist on part of the hill, but refused to believe that the figure could be the shadow of either his or his brother, casting an optical illusion. Mainly oh. because there was only one figure visible, which, right. if it was just casting their shadow and they're standing right next to it, there, why would right. it be two? However, unlike Collie's story, the brothers never spoke of crunching or footsteps, just the sense they were being followed and the giant figure they saw running towards them. Mm. Now... I have to pause to provide a little obligatory devil's advocate here because mm. the optical illusion Henry mentioned is a real thing. The phenomenon is called Brocken spectra or the spectra of the Brocken because it was first observed on the Brocken, the highest summit of the Harz Mountains in Germany. The Brocken mm. spectra was observed and described by Johann Schlilberschlag, wait, Silberschlag in 19... 19- <laughs> Sorry. I know. It's a today. fucking mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> That's a she Johan! God damn it. Yeah, I know. It's all <laughs> twisted up in there, you bastard. Okay. You're fine. You're wonderful. Johan Silberschlag in 1780. The optical illusion occurs when the shadow of the observer is thrown by a low sun against an opaque wall of mist. So basically, it's just like mm. a huge projector. Right. I see. The shadow appears greatly magnified and is sometimes distorted depending on the effect of the wind and the observer's own movements. Occasionally, Ah. the shadow is surrounded by a prismatic halo, sometimes called the glory, which is just the chromatic fringe caused by diffraction at the margin of the dark shadow. It's actually really beautiful. You can look up pictures of it. Basically, you just like it's this big gray figure and it has like this beautiful rainbow rainbow around it. Yeah, Yeah, it's actually very cool looking. Now, while this might startle your average Joe, Kali and Kellis, as I've said a million fucking times, were both experienced mountain climbers. Like, the fucking best in the world. I think they've climbed enough mountains that they would recognize, like, one, the sound of deer crunching through the snow in Collie's case, or their own shadow in Kellis's case. In an article by Ronald Clark addressing the various natural explanations for Collie and Kellis's experience, Clark said, quote, Some or all of these may have been responsible, but if so, it is odd that two men, such as Kellis and Collie, should have been thus fooled. If not, it is even odder that both should have been subscribed to a leg pull in such a peculiar taste. End quote. I totally am with you on that. Right? A hundred fucking percent. I also have to say, I kind of miss like old British speak. It's 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 a mouthful. <laughs> but full disclosure, I learned like at least 20 words I had not known before this. Just hey. because I was like, oh, I didn't know. I wouldn't have said it like that, but I love it. So fancy. Educational. There you go. Very educational. Love it. 
So a few other accounts I'm going to throw in just so you kind of have a little more evidence here. Wendy Wood, who was not only a gifted artist, sculptor, and writer, but also an avid campaigner for Scottish independence, recounted an experience of her own in her 1930s book, The Secret of Spey. She was unaware of Collie's and Cullis' stories at the time, and she had been traveling through the Larrig Gru Pass on Ben McDewey when suddenly she heard a voice of, quote, gigantic resonance from behind her. She thought maybe it was speaking Gaelic, but couldn't make out what the voice was saying. She brushed it off, thinking maybe it was the bark of a deer, but it came again and she said there was no possibility that it was anything other than human speech. She worried there was someone injured lying in the snow and not wanting to leave someone in distress. She slowly started to walk in ever-increasing circles to locate the voice. But she found no one and nothing to explain the sound. Then, just as in the other stories, she was abruptly filled with fear and consumed with anxiety to get away from that uncanny place. As she hurried... See, that's something that's very interesting to me, because the the only thing that I know, uh, other than, like, a situation that's actually fearful that's doing, that, that causes that is, like... Infrasound? Um, infrasound or, like, EMF. Yeah, yeah. Like, electromagnetic uh, fields are... Totally. Are we getting into that? No, no, no. But oh, that no. could be that could be going on there. Yeah, no one mentioned it, that as like a thing that's happening there. It's like because it's something. The intense fear that these people are feeling, it, it you know, it seems to manifest outside to, of them. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it, it's very curious and noteworthy to me. I agree. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, ultimately, as we discussed, I think, last week, um, we're animals yeah. at the end of the day. And we have all of these, you know, mechanisms and stuff to protect us and keep us alive yeah. as long as possible. Yeah. So you do have a certain level of like, uh, I guess, probably what we would consider like extra sensory, even though it's really not. Yeah. It's just your general sensory. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't acknowledge it. Exactly. We're like, that's, that's <laughs> not right. My logical brain says that that can't be. Even though it feels right. in my gut that this is correct, I'm going to say no. Exactly. All right. So back to Wendy here. She feels this intense feeling of dread. And as she starts to hurry away, she began to hear gigantic footsteps following her where it had Mm-mm. been silent before. Mm-mm. Nope. She felt that something was walking immediately behind her, but managed to Mm-mm. stay calm and count the steps it was taking. Holy shit. Which like... Good on you, girl. First of all, like, the fact that she was like, I think somebody's in danger. I'm going to just, like, walk in, like, a big spiral to see if I can find them. And then, like, okay, I'm panicking. I think something's following me. But I'm going to just, like, count the steps and see what's up. Wendy and I are not the same person. No, she's chill. I'm screaming my head off. Right? So that if I do get murdered, at least people will know that I am being murdered. Yes. I might even, like, barrel roll down the mountain just to, like, speed things up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, let, I let, mean, let I, gravity help the situation here. I would probably not do that intentionally, but that would be the result. <laughs> Just with my running and tripping and general clumsiness. Yeah. Yeah. Moments before recording, I hit the exact center of my knee against the corner of my chair so hard Ugh. that I literally was like, I'm going to pass out or I'm going to throw <gasps> up. Neither of those things happened. Oof. But so there's no way I'm not like 
falling and like rolling down this mountain. Right? I, like the scene from Princess Bride is playing in my head right now. Like that is Absolutely. literally what would be happening to me. Like ass over tea kettle fucking nonstop. <laughs> Absolutely. I, <laughs> I love that phrase so much. I, I don't think I've ever really used it in my life, but I, I might start more. Today's the day, it's, baby. It felt right. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. Emotionally, it felt right, too. Right? Right? Yeah. It also felt like... I'm here for it. Yeah. Like, very British. Very, yeah. <laughs> tea kettle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, she starts counting the steps it's taking, and it was then that she realized the crunch of the snow did not coincide with her own steps, and filled with an overwhelming sense of terror started stumbling down the mountain, blind to her surroundings, running until she made it safely home. Reflecting on the matter, she said, quote, After all the evidence that can be gathered, we are no nearer to a reasonable solution of the identity of the huge being who is felt, seen, and heard by persons of such widely different proclivities in the same vicinity. For generations, the people of the district have known this ghostly giant, and they are neither stupid nor credulous. It is time for so-called reasonable people to realize that there can be strange matters to which we have not yet got the clue, end quote. Damn! Right? Like, she's not fucking around. Absolutely. Like, uh, yes. Like, (laughs) I want to fucking put that shit on a plaque. Right? Wendy, thank you. Agreed. Thank you. Like, there's shit we don't fucking know. Right? Don't just fucking discount that. Another she story. Knows what time it is. She knows what the fuck time it is. Another story was recounted to June Wilkie on Scottish radio in 1978 by Sidney Scrogie, who served with the 52nd Lowland Division during World War II and was later permanently blinded and grievously injured when he was blown up by a landmine. Holy, Holy fuck. fuck! Yes. At the time of the incident, not the landmine incident, the gray man incident. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure both equally traumatized. Very, yes. Very horrifying. At the time of the incident in 1942, he was stationed at Aviemore when he saw, quote, a figure, a tall, stately human figure appear out of the blackness on one side of the lock, end quote. It disappeared and he quickly followed. He found no footprints but called out so whoever it was would know he was there. When there was no reply, quote, I became uneasily aware of the darkness. The silence. (gasps) The hair stirred on the back of my neck. I turned about and more in flight than in retreat, regained the reassuring solidity of the stone. End quote. Which he's referring to Shelter Stone, which is like the place he was located in Ben McDewey. That totally gave me chills. Did it? Right? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So Sydney knew there were Norwegian troops around but he said they would have returned his call because they're allies. They want to know. Right. They're not going to fucking shoot you. He admitted that there was the possibility that the figure had been a German soldier who had parachuted in, in which case the call would not have been answered. Sure, of course. Unless he's going to, like, turn around and murder you, basically. So, But then why wouldn't he have murdered him? Like, why wouldn't if, – if it was a German soldier, why didn't the German soldier try to kill him? That's what I thought. Maybe he was, like, a man on a mission. He's like, I, I can't just, like, leave bodies everywhere. Like, I have a specific thing I got to be doing. I got to put this, like, thermite on this fucking tank or this building or some shit. I don't know. I have no idea. But, again, Sidney does not recount this as the time he encountered a German soldier. He recounts it as the time he, like, encountered the great man. So, mm. 
In the book, Always a Little Further, a classic tale of camping, hiking, and climbing in Scotland in the 30s, Alistair Borthwick discusses the gray man and describes the experience of two friends. In separate incidents, both heard the crunching footsteps in a rhythm too slow to be a human and were terrified but the and were terrified by the sound, but neither of them saw anything. One of the men asked a couple of gameskeepers and okay. So apparently British use the term stalker for like huntsman kind of so like somebody at a stalking prey yes somebody at like a lodge who would like lead people on a hunt is like known as a stalker there so that threw me off but you learned something new (laughs) i was like whoa what's happening why is he asking the stalker what's going on get away from him what was that thing of of you the u.s and and the uk are two countries divided by common language or something like that oh my god Yes. Facts. Yeah. That you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Literally. What? I know we're, li- I know <laughs> that we're speaking the same words and yet I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. So one of the men asked a couple of gameskeepers and stalkers from the area what they thought of the big gray man. According to him, they looked at him for a few seconds and then one said, quote, we do not talk about that. <gasps> chills. Chills. I gave myself fucking chills about that. Like, mm the fact that you like won't you won't say anything, you're just literally like, no, just no. We're not acknowledging this. We don't talk about that. Yeah. What kind of shit have they seen? For real. You know they fucking have too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. like, we don't talk about that. Oh yeah. Like I'm so traumatized, like literally just no. No. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Thanksgiving, you know there's those topics like you like actually because there's like politics, religion, whatever. That, like, you shouldn't talk about, but people get a couple... Yeah. And they can't. Gin and tonics in there, and then it's, it's you know, game over. But then there's things, like, you absolutely know you cannot talk about. Like, the deep family secret shit. Yes. That cannot come out. Yes. But that's that level yep. shit of your life. That's where you're gonna, like, blow some fucking minds, and you're gonna, like, wreck somebody. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <gasps> I know. But here's the thing. If so many people are hearing footsteps, where are the footprints? Mm -hmm. Well, enter James Allen Rennie, who in his book, Romantic Speyside, describes his own experience of discovering strange tracks about one mile from Cromdale in Lower Speyside on December 2nd, 1952. He took photographs of them and measurements, and according to him, each print was 19 inches long and 14 inches wide. Damn. Yes. There was also roughly seven feet between each, like, quote unquote, stride. And holy shit. Yeah. That's a fucking lot. Like, crazy big. To the point that this basically means that this has to be at least 10 feet tall, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. Because average stride is like, what, like three feet? Yeah, I would say so. And that's like, if so, you have long, that's like your stride where you have like me. glorious stride, long yeah. ass legs. Yeah. <laughs> Me, it's like a foot and a half, and I got to do like a little skipty do to keep up with everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, oh no, I have the so, New York New York Power Walk down. I can fucking oh, I can I keep know. up. Yeah, absolutely. So, a long person like myself, and I'm I'm all legs too. So that's essentially two and a half times my stride. Yes, that's fucking crazy. Absolutely crazy. 
He said there was no difference between the right and left footprint, and they proceeded in approximately in a single file line. He followed the tracks Mm. for about half a mile, which seemed to leap across a roadway at one point, until they terminated at the foot of a pine, as though whatever it was had leapt up into the tree. However, the footprints didn't end there, and about 20 yards away, he picked them up again. They traversed this little white field, plunged down the hill to the river's edge, and disappeared opposite the village churchyard. A few weeks later, he was out once again when he saw the tracks being made. He said the tracks were, quote, appearing miraculously before (gasps) my eyes. No sign of life anywhere, no movement even, other than the drifting Mm -mm. clouds overhead, and those tracks springing suddenly into being as they came inexorably towards me. I stood stock still, filled with a reasonless panic. The tracks were being made within 50 yards of me, 20 10, then smack. I shouted aloud as a large blob of water struck me full in the face. I swung round. What the fuck? Brushing the water from my eyes and saw the tracks continuing across the lake. In that moment, I knew that the Wendigo, Abominable Snowman, Bodok Moor, or what have you, was forever explained so far as I was concerned. End quote. Can you fucking imagine that? Right? So, in Rennie's opinion, the explanation was simple. A freak current of warm air coming in contact with the lower temperature had created condensation which was projected earthwards in the form of water blobs. As they landed in the snow, they left tracks resembling those of some fantastical creature, and he said he had, on occasion, encountered them in the Arctic and other parts of the world. In his view, water blobs can perform every trick accredited to the abominable snowman, crossing the roofs of houses, leaping high walls, and crossing ravines. Affleck Gray inquired with the meteorological office on the subject and was given the following response. Quote, I'm afraid that we have no satisfactory explanation to offer, and in the absence of a convincing argument, there is nothing to be gained by comment based on conjecture. There are many factors that could contribute to fractures in the snow surface, end quote. So, I mean, was that kind of just like a brush off answer from the meteorological society? Yeah, because it's basically like, sure, I guess that could have caused it, but I also can't say definitively that that is what caused it. That basically bullshit answer of like, it could be that, it could not be that. We don't know. Right. We're not going to rule anything out. We're not going to rule anything out. But we're also not going to definitively say it's this thing. Exactly. I saw the pictures. I mean, it's hard to tell. They're from far away. The ones I saw didn't have any, like, reference, like, measuring tape or anything. So they just Mm -hmm. kind of, like, look like footprints in the snow. That being said, they're very regular, which, like, if it's water blobs, do they really occur, like, that consistently? Symmetrical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a meteorologist. Now, the big gray man obviously seems to share some similarities with the Yeti of the Himalayas or the Sasquatch of North America. There's also evidence as far back as 1870 of similar creatures which are said to inhabit the remote forest of the Caucasus. The Russians call them Almas, and from the evidence collected, Soviet scientists have managed to build up the equivalent of an identikit picture. In 1968, Professor Jean-Marie Kaufman, a member of the Soviet Geographical Society, published a report on the creatures in the Soviet magazine Science and Religion. 
John Napier, director of the Smithsonian Institute's primate biology department, rightly declared that the presence of unknown humanoid creatures in the Pacific Northwest is a possibility which should not be discounted, for scientific literature abounds in the tarnished reputations of men who dismissed initial reports of the existence of the giant squid, the gorilla, okapi, and giant panda. Oh, shit. Right? If not a cousin to the Sasquatch or Yeti, other supernatural explanations have been put forth as to the origin of the Gray Man. The Aetherius Society and the Active Truth Academy of Edinburgh have posited that Ben McDewey is actually an Earthfall for space beings and, quote, a center of cosmic intelligence, end quote. Hmm. They believe that extraterrestrial visitors have landed there and communicated with humans and that the Gray Man is one of these extraterrestrial visitors. Inevitably, these assertions are linked with reports of identified flying objects in the area, and more oddly still, reports of flying monks and levitating Tibetan mystics. What the fuck? Very weird, yes. Casual. Casual, no big deal. But might not seem so weird, because along those lines, there are others still who believe that the gray man is actually Bodhisattva. One of the five perfect beings who have lived for billions of years and control the destinies of the world who meet once a year in a cave in the Himalayas. Hmm. From CNS Press and Journal, November 30th, 1925, quote, The mysterious dweller on Ben McDewey makes it clear to the occult student that the big gray man is not a ghost in the ordinary sense, but rather what Indians term the deva or shining one. These are non-human beings of more power and intelligence than the fairy people who work under them, end quote. Hmm. In your final installment of Obligatory Devil's Advocate, William Garden, who was then president of the Cairngorm Club, regarded the suggestion of a big gray man as, quote, perfect nonsense. The secretary of the club, John A. Nickel, agreed and believed it was, quote, pure imagination, end quote. Both of them had been climbing the mountains for years and have never reported anything similar happening to them. According to John May, Christine Mill, Professor Colley's biographer, reported that despite his scientific background, Colley was actually a lifelong believer in the occult. Mm. Now, I didn't find any other record of this. However, I also didn't read his biography that she wrote, so right. perhaps he was. Mill also noted that Kali would often tell stories around the campfire or in his den of Gaelic mountain gods and goddesses and other legendary creatures. And with, as she put it, quote, no one quite knowing how much he was believing himself, end quote. Hmm. However, the late J.W. Harries, a, quote, journalist of repute, end quote, warned readers that it would be oversimplifying the problem of the gray man to dismiss all the testimony recorded during the years as mere hallucination, since most of the witnesses were, quote, realistic and unimaginative individuals, end quote. Which, like, sounds kind of like a <laughs> Damn, bird, savage. right? Like, I wouldn't want to be called unimaginative, but I get it in this context why that seems... For sure. Yeah, applicable and complimentary. Yeah. In a booklet published by the Edinburgh Psychic College in 1949, a few abnormal manifestations on Ben McDewey are recorded, and it's suggested in its foreword that the physical attributes of Ben McDewey might create conditions oddly favorable to psychic sensibility, so that the range of ordinary perception is extended in certain circumstances, 
making the individual open to phenomenon on a different plane from the normal. Whether you believe the um for Lee more is just a result of a terrified and overactive imagination, or a bodhisattva, or aliens, or just Sasquatch's distant relative, it's clear that the stories of the big gray man still linger in the Scottish Highlands to this day. And although you'd think the legend of the gray man would have a long history in Highland mythology, perhaps it doesn't for one simple reason. As the gameskeeper slash stalker said, quote, we do not talk about that, end quote. Chills. Girl. And that is your introduction to the big gray man of Ben McDewey of Scotland. Bam. Holy shit. Yeah. That was amazing. Thank you. I had not heard that one before, so. Me neither. I like an interesting, uh, a foreign cryptid. I like to know what everybody else is, yeah. like, believes in and what they're doing. And I love when it's like, yeah. they're kind of similar, that we kind of like, mm-hmm. despite all of our differences and despite all of our, like, how far away we are from each other geographically, like. We're still terrorized by the same shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, like, we all kind of still come up with these legends. Yeah. Yeah. We have listeners in Scotland, so Fuck yeah. if you guys are Scottish peeps, if you know anything about this, you've experienced some <gasps> shit, hit a bitty up. Tell another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com. Everything. That you and fucking. Yes. 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 Also, if I pronounced anything wrong, you feel free to tell me. That's cool. I, yeah. I think it's safe to assume you did. Oh, 100%, Monique. <laughs> that's not a read. No. I just. That, that's a, when I that's saw a statement you, of fact. No. You, you know, heard that me was struggle. a valiant effort. Yes. You heard the non-edited version of this, so. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You're aware. I was like, girl, I don't know how you're doing this. And I have no idea how it's actually spelled. Of when you're yeah. <laughs> That's the real problem. I'm usually that That's person who problem. literally, like, will type something out phonetically when I have to read it. You because otherwise, I my brain just will be like, no. No to you that. Have to. Absolutely. Right? All right. Thank Thanks you. so much for that. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you, uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, trip to the cryptid corner. Absolutely. Yeah. It's cozy over here. Don't worry. Yeah. All right. You got some horrifying true crime for me now? I sure do. Are traumatized And uh, yes. Let me tell you. I mean, I'm going to do all those things. Yeah. Uh, this story is insanely fucked up. Uh, yeah. It's real fucked that up. That tracks. Uh, I expected nothing less, Monique. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your service, honestly. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, it's really fucked up. Uh, and I hadn't heard the story. But uh, I'm going to impart it on all you fine folks. Fuck yeah. I'm sorry. And you're welcome. I love it. So I'm going to be talking about Candace Noobmaker. All right. Sources. Wikipedia.com. NBCI.NLM.NIH.gov, which is the National Center for Biotechnology Information childrenandtherapy.org. Girl, stop it. You're talking nerdy to me. I love it. Right? Hey, girl. <laughs> Sploosh. <laughs> LATimes.com, ABCnews.com, DenverPost.com, and RatBags.com. Uh, all right, then. Yep. That last one, I don't know. It was it was very helpful, but uh, I'm like, is that the domain name you <laughs> right? went with? You know, cool. live your dreams. Cool, cool. <laughs> Candace was born in Lincolnton, North Carolina, to Angela and Todd Elmore on November 19, 1989. Candace's early years were filled with trauma. She had an angry father, a troubled mother, and lived in a household 
full of abuse, marital fights, and domestic disturbance calls. Ugh. Candace, I know. Poor baby, no. Right out the bat. It's fucking terrible. God damn it. And it's just going to get fucking worse. Candace and her younger brother Michael and sister Chelsea were removed from their home for neglect twice and separated by social services. Todd and Angela's parental rights were eventually terminated, and at five years old, Candace became a ward of Lincoln County, North Carolina. Two years later, in 1996, Candace was adopted by Jean Elizabeth Newmaker, a 42-year-old single pediatric nurse practitioner who treated children at Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. Jean wanted nothing more than to be a mother, and by all accounts, she was a loving and involved one. Jean always showed up for school parties and functions. When school was out, the two traveled often on vacation. They took trips to the Appalachians and went to Florida to see the dolphins. They went hiking together, whitewater rafting, and horseback riding. Uh, fuck yeah. Once, okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's all great. It's pretty fucking rad. Sign me up. Once while vacationing in the mountains, Candace saw a stray dog and asked her adoptive mother if she could take it home. They had already had two dogs, but by the time they got back to their home in Durham, the dog was waiting. <gasps> Jean had arranged for it to be sent as a surprise. Oh, that gave me chills. That's really I know. sweet. You know, I can't I handle know. the dog thing. <laughs> I know. Those who saw Jean and Candace together thought that they displayed a particularly warm bond, and the little girl charmed everyone she met. But as is often the case, Things were very different behind closed doors. Oh, no. More than anything, Jean wanted a child to love and to have that child love her back. But in Candace, she got something far more complicated. Instead, she found herself struggling with an angry, defiant child who, like others from broken, abusive homes, did not want her adoptive mother's love, hugs, or parenting. Candace wouldn't let her adoptive mother hold her or even look her in the eye. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's some, like, some it's boss dominant shit. Like, you don't even look at me. Like, eyes down. Avert them. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. It's, it's fucking intense. We're going to get into it. Within months of the adoption, between all the vacations, parties, and school functions, Jean began taking Candace to a psychiatrist, complaining about her, quote, assaultive behavior, Oof. end quote, and attitude at home. Jean took her daughter to a series of doctors and mental health professionals, they visited specialists in attention deficit disorder, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Though Candace was treated with medications, none of them worked, as Jean reported that Candace's behavior got worse during the next few years, a period supposedly including her playing with matches and also killing goldfish. <gasps> Which, I don't know what that means. Um, I, I didn't find any more specific stuff on that. Because to me, I'm like, a goldfish lasts like 72 hours. Maybe. I feel like what that means is like she was the kid who scooped it out with the net and then like yeah. made it suffocate because that seemed fun. Oof. Maybe. I get the matches thing, full disclosure. Like, Dude, a total pyro when I was a kid? Absolutely. Am I pyro kind of now? Yeah, I have literally a bowl, a fishbowl. Oh my God, Monique, I have a fishbowl full of matches. What is, uh, something's wrong. There's a red flag. <laughs> red flag. I mean... <laughs> I have a gold skull that's full of matches. Fuck so, yes. uh, to be fair, I didn't... and this is how we found <laughs> yes! each other. Sorry, uh, to be fair, I also never intentionally killed the goldfish. Right? I was gonna say I didn't kill the goldfish to get the goldfish uh, bowl. I just bought it. <laughs> no one, yes. no one freak out. It has never had a fish in it. Yeah. For the record, 
What followed over the next four years was a series of fruitless visits to a succession of therapists and doctors. There were numerous diagnoses, there were experiments with various medications, but nothing seemed to help. Jean Newmaker was determined to not give up, so she took her search to the internet. Somewhere in her constant reading and research, she came across the diagnosis, Reactive Attachment Disorder, or RAD. The disorder is characterized by difficulties in establishing and maintaining trusting relationships and by emotional disturbances in social situations that start before the age of five. The main list of symptoms included an inability to give or receive real affection, failure to establish eye contact, extreme defiance and anger, persistent lying and stealing, extreme impulse control problems, cruelty to animals, manipulation, superficial charm, and lack of conscience. Damn. This is like the, the fucking grocery list of the shit you don't want your kid to fucking like have. Yeah. The worst oh. of the worst. This is why I can't have children. <laughs> I mean, no. none of, I, it's going to be tough, no. like, hearing this being like, yeah, I totally want to have a kid. Uh, <laughs> it's almost borderline, like, I haven't seen this movie in, like, 30 years, but remember that movie The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood? I don't think I ever Did saw that, that, no. It was supremely fucked up. Supremely fucked up. And Macaulay Culkin, who was, like, going off the high of being, like, America's favorite yeah. kid, is, like, a total sociopathic, like, piece of shit kid oh shit and, like tries to kill his sister like it's like ah, crazy. Sounds, it's a crazy fucking movie this sounds good i might have to look this up yeah what's it called um the good son the good son okay thank you yeah so there's it was giving me this kind of vibe again i haven't seen it in 30 years so i don't know if it's any good but i was reminded of this gene was struck by how closely these symptoms reflected candace's behavior Jean found websites discussion groups and chat rooms that had other parents just like her parents with rad kids and with her same problems over and over again they talked about their kids being charming to outsiders and a terror in their own homes they described unceasing wars being waged by remorseless manipulative children determined to resist defy and above all maintain control this is literally giving me chills like this is so terrifying to me monique this is there's, like, lots of twists and turns in the story. It's, like, supremely fucked up. Oh, fuck. Okay. This new internet community welcomed Jean with open arms, and she started to feel less alone. Eventually, she found a website for the Association for Treatment and Training in the Attachment of Children, or ATTACH, an international umbrella organization that had been founded in 1989. At the ATTACH site, Jean downloaded a list of recognized therapists. She also downloaded information about Attach's upcoming 11th Annual International Conference, which was scheduled for September 30th through October 2nd, 1999, at the Holiday Inn in Alexandria, Virginia. The hotel was jammed when Jean arrived. 570 people had come from 44 states and Britain and Canada. The three-day-long conference featured 31 workshops, four general sessions, and three keynote speakers. There, Jean talked to therapists, parents of other rad children, and therapeutic foster mothers. It is likely she attended a session on children with reactive attachment disorder led by Bill Goebel, a psychologist with a doctorate who hailed from her home state of North Carolina. After that session, Jean approached Goebel about Candace to get his professional opinion on her and what could be done. Goebel asked Jean to fill out a checklist, an inventory of Candace's characteristics. 
and she had checked off almost all of the major common symptoms. Goebel spoke of programs that would let Candace live in a foster home during therapy. This was especially appealing to Jean because it meant she wouldn't have to stay alone with Candace during her treatment as she feared Candace's rage during therapy would be even greater at home. Oh my god! Like, can you imagine? Like, literally... Can you imagine being terrified of, like, your 10-year-old? No! I mean, yes, his 10-year-old is terrifying, but no. Of course, yeah. No. No, but there was an HBO documentary that came out last year about kind of similar to this it was about kids who were like violent as fuck and the parents trying to do everything for them and like the system basically like can't help them yeah Uh, have you ever met a kid like that i've met a few of them they it's it is i don't even know how to explain it i don't think at this level but i think i've met kids that are like on their way okay it's like if something doesn't happen real quick they'll end up like this yes um I don't remember what was the name of that documentary. Uh, Dangerous Son. That's oh, what it's called okay. On HBO. Uh, and you just see, because I think it was basically about like how, you know, the shit with like Columbine and stuff, everyone blames the parents. And then it was these parents being like, we can see the writing on the wall that our kid is going to end up like this. And we're trying everything to make them not be like that. And, like, no one is helping us. Yeah. Fuck. Which I can't even fucking imagine. Mm. Holy fuck. So Gene asked if Goebel could suggest a particular place. And he had suggested Connell Watkins and Associates in Evergreen, a remote mountain town 30 miles west of Denver. Evergreen had become the epicenter of therapy for reactive attachment disorder, a mecca for parents who had been told that that's what their kids had offered 14 attachment therapists in six clinics in the small town of 8,000. While mainstream medicine regarded these therapists to be nothing more than wackos and cultists, the number of attachment disorder diagnoses, therapists, and acolytes had multiplied, especially since the wave of adoptions of traumatized Eastern European orphans by U.S. parents began in 1989. And I don't know if you know anyone who had, like, had adopted a kid around that time, like through the 90s, either from Eastern Europe or from China. But those, like, if you hear the story, like, at least me, I knew several people who had adopted kids from China. And a lot of them would talk about getting their baby who had, like, burn marks on their arms and legs from being (gasps) literally tied down to the crib because they wouldn't even, like, touch the babies. What? Because they're, like, like, yeah. And, And I remember there being a special of seeing, like, kids rocking themselves to sleep because, like, no like a, a person wouldn't hold them and touch them and rock and do all the They're things like that self-soothing. you need for your brain yes. to fucking develop literally yes they did an experiment with that with uh monkeys where they yes 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 with the yes. bottles and it literally was just like covering what the wire or the with the terry like, cloth cloth yes 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 and like they yeah. have completely different personalities yes yeah and, and the one that didn't have it was really angry and violent yes and had a lot of yeah a lot of these same issues. Yeah, exactly. So Evergreen had become the last chance for distraught parents who found mainstream medicine unable to provide them with solutions or understanding. Enter Connell Watkins. She started working with attachment therapy in Evergreen in 1977, not long after earning her master's degree in social work at Denver University. Although not licensed or credentialed in Colorado, 
She is among the best known and most controversial in her field and is regarded as the godmother of attachment therapy. Other therapists in their own books hail her work with many describing her as uncommonly intuitive with troubled children, with some using terms such as genius and incredibly compassionate to describe her. She was known for taking in the worst of the worst cases and then doing, quote unquote, whatever it takes to help them. Oh, no. That's not a phrase you always want to hear. Uh Uh-uh. No. Continue. She was also known for believing that she was always right. One of the ways that a therapist would go about treating reactive attachment disorder was with rage reduction therapy. Basically, the therapist would goat, confront, and physically restrain the child. You pin them down, you rub your knuckles into their ribs, (gasps) and you incite them to rage with lots of who's the boss taunting. What? Yeah. I don't like this at all. Yeah. The goal was to outpower the powerful to force psychological engagement and to surrender when a child would rather withdraw or retain control. You know, like part of this, if you've seen Arrested Development, it kind of, <laughs> it kind of reminds me in when Tobias is, you know, got sold to White Power Bill for a pack of smokes and he's like, you know, and White Power Bill is all like, I hate the government. It's like, you hate white power bill. It's like, I hate my, you know, he goes into this whole thing. I hate this. I hate you. I hate the Jews. And he's like, I hate my father. It's like basically supposed to be that, but because you can't psychologically verbally do this to a kid, it's by physically kind of getting this like fight or flight thing going that they get their anger out, that they're able to express their anger. Then they can like address what they're actually upset about. Okay. This is the, the shtick of this. But the thing is, even those who felt uneasy with these methods had to admit that they sometimes appeared to work. Although not a cure-all, they at least helped parents gain access to walled-off kids. Families began to flock to Evergreen, many for two-week intensive programs that involved 30 hours of concentrated therapy. And therapists, too, started flocking to Evergreen to get training in attachment therapy. Attachment therapy is not a specialty that can be licensed or board-certified. In fact, Anybody in Colorado can practice it. Nonetheless, by 1987, reactive attachment disorder was recognized as a psychiatric condition listed in the DSM. And on January 20th, 2000, Jean signed a contract with Connell Watkins and Associates for a two-week intensive therapy program to the tune of $7,000. Damn. Which was... That's a racket. Holy fuck. It was apparently the going rate in Evergreen. I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> fuck. And granted, this is I, I didn't do the let's do it now. Let's do the the, uh, the conversion of, of two thousand to now. Oof. The so seven thousand now is eleven thousand two hundred and forty three dollars and forty six cents. Fuck dude. For two weeks. No. You better be fucking I mean, going to like just, Hawaii or something. Girl! Right? No. I'm dropping that kind of money. Like, I want fucking massages on the beach and a happy ending. Absolutely. And people bringing me, you know, alcoholic drinks with little umbrellas in them. Yes. Facts. And maybe a cabana boy, like, fanning me or something. I don't know. Absolutely. It's never happened to me, but but I'm just like, this is my fantasy. Let me live my life. (laughs) Yeah, this is a lot of money. (laughs) But, like, you know, these people are fucking desperate. Yeah. And Jean is one of these people. So she and Candace arrived at the Watkins two-story home, which served as both her home and clinic, 
on Meadow Drive on Monday, April 10th, during Candace's spring break from school to start the treatment. Like many parents before her, Jean felt greatly relieved to be in Evergreen. She believed she finally was going to be getting some help because Watkins seemed to understand Candace's symptoms and to be familiar with Jean's description of their home situation. Right off the bat, Watkins arranged for Candace to have a medical evaluation. On April 11th, Candace and Jean met Dr. John Alston, an evergreen psychiatrist who most of the attachment therapists there used as a consultant. Jean Newmaker struck Alston as the classic, quote-unquote, abused mom, weighed down by despair and frustration. And he judged their situation to be a severe case, and Candace clearly in need of treatment. The psychiatrist adjusted Candace's medication, stopping the effects she'd been taking, but increasing the Risperdal by 50%. Risperdal has a sedating effect that can lead to lethargy, confusion, and eventual calm. By all accounts available, Candace's first days in therapy, which included the typical kind of taunting confrontation, did not progress as well as Watkins's team had hoped. They believed Candace was not, quote-unquote, working hard enough. They could not break through, could not get her to engage or erupt in rage. Assisting Watkins were three associates, Julie Ponder, a California-licensed marriage and family therapist with two master's degrees who had recently relocated to Evergreen without obtaining a Colorado credential, Brita Lynn Sinclair, Watkins' office manager, and Jack Dudley McDaniel, St. Clair's fiancé, a high school graduate whom Watkins was paying $700 for the two weeks to serve as an intern. To them all, Candace seemed emotionally withdrawn after her medication was changed. St. Clair, at whose home the girl was staying, thought her to be very bright but very passive, a reflective girl who wasn't violent, belligerent, or defiant. Watkins later described her as having a, quote, look in her eyes like nobody was home, end quote. Oof. On April 17th, midway through the two-week program, John Alston placed Candace back on the antidepressant Effexor. He claimed he did so to counter her disassociation. That same day, Watkins' team conducted what is called compression therapy. They had Candace lie down on a mat, they wrapped her in a sheet, leaving only her head uncovered. On each side of her, they placed a large cushion. They then instructed Jean, who is a very obese woman, to lie down <gasps> on top of the seven-year-old child, bracing herself on the cushions to distribute her weight. The notion was to have Candace become compliant with her mother, to have the mother control the situation, not the child. I don't think physically dominating your child is the solution to that. Yeah. I'm not a psychologist, I mean, but... I'm going to I'm going to take a I'm going to take a stab at it and say that's not the solution. Yeah. I agree. Yes. <laughs> the further notion was to have Candace visually connect with her mother to form some kind of attachment, which to me is just kind of like trauma bonding is what I Yeah, think. totally. It's like you've done this like you've basically assaulted me and now you've stopped and I'm thankful that you've stopped assaulting me. Yeah. It's almost like battered woman syndrome. Um, it is. And now we need to make eye contact over this? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a shrink and I don't have kids, but all of this seems very red flaggy to me. But uh, I, yeah. I, well, here's the thing. I'm also very sympathetic because she's like, no one is able to help me. Yeah. And, and my child and is saying, violent. And I feel, yeah. This is an extreme case. And I guess like, you know, extreme measures. 
So this is happening. Her fucking mother's like lying on top of a cell Oh my God. After some time, Jean got up and sat in a chair and they unwrapped Candace. The therapist instructed Candace to crawl to her mother and sit on her lap and to lie in her mother's arms quietly. They gave Jean a plate of food to feed Candace as if she were an infant breastfeeding. And Candace obliged. Uh, okay. Is this what therapy is normally like? I haven't Girl, been in a long time, but like, and I obviously need it, but like, no. <laughs> I don't Girl, want any part of this. Same. <laughs> same. Um, I mean, I don't know how I'd handle any of this. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. No, unless this is Chris Hemsworth compression therapying me, <laughs> I don't want any part of it. Get the fuck off. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Candace crawls to her mother, she lies in her lap, and she eats the food off her, like, very calmly. And Jean sobs, because finally there had been a breakthrough. For the first time, Candace allowed Jean to hold her and to have eye contact with her. For the first time, she was really able to connect with her daughter. Yeah, because you broke her. You literally, yeah. I mean... You're right, you, like, trauma bonded her. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. Ugh. It's going to get worse. It's fine. It's going to get worse. The next day, Connell Watkins chose to up the ante. She decided they would conduct a rebirthing session. So a rebirthing session is a role play scenario in which the child is wrapped in a blanket in the fetal position with others pressing on pillows around them to simulate birth contractions. The theory goes that by acting out being born, the child can have a fresh start on life overcoming early childhood trauma and forging a bond with their new mother. While the procedure is uncommon, when it has taken place, it usually lasts no more than 15 minutes. On April 18th, 2000, Candace Newmaker's day at Connell Watkins' home began at 9.04 a.m. with art therapy. Julie Ponder asked Candace to draw pictures of six items. They then discussed what she'd drawn. On a tripod in the corner of the room sat a video camera recording their exchange and all that followed. At 9.35, Ponder began talking to Candace about her upcoming rebirthing session. She described how Candace would be wrapped up as if she were in her mother's womb and asked Candace if she wanted to be reborn to her new mother. The 10-year-old said yes and talked about how her birth mother was abusive and recounted being dropped out a second-story window by her mother. She t- Girl, oh I can't God. even fucking imagine this shit. I can't imagine this shit. Dude, if you can't fucking take care of your kid, just like send him to adoption, you know. Seriously. Like, there's no way. The only way I would justify like you dropping a kid out of a second story window is if there's like a fire or a bear in your house and you're like, fuck. Like, this is my only option. This is my yes. only option. It's this or death. So like. Take a broken It's guaranteed bone, death now, or like yes. maybe you might make it. Yeah. That's it. Or you might like just break a leg or something, like it's fine. Right. Uh, all I'm picturing is Michael Jackson holding blanket. Blanket, over the, yeah. The balcony, yeah. Yeah. Also, shit parenting. But yeah, that's uh, not what, yeah. Uh, it was shocking for a reason because everyone yeah, was exactly. like, literally, what the fuck Who are the you fuck doing? Does that's that? a baby. Don't do that. That's a fucking baby. Don't do that. <laughs> she told Ponder she wanted to be safe. And that she didn't want to fall out a window. Correct. Yeah, Candace. I mean, yeah. the basics of fucking life. Yeah. Right? It sounded you know, like 
that's the that's the bar for her yes. mom. She's like, yeah. just one that like won't push me out of a second floor window would be great. Like, I'll, I'll pretty much take anything that's not that. And it's it's kind of wild when you're like, that is never a thing I've had to think about. Yeah, you know. Yep. And that should be the basis of like everyone. That should be the baseline yeah. for everyone. Like, I actually don't ever have to think about whether my mom is going to throw me out a second floor window. Yeah. It's like I didn't actually think I had to say that was a thing I didn't want. I kind of just thought. Like we knew that was that just, was a thing. we just yeah. knew everyone. I, it was the unspoken societal <laughs> yes. contract we yes. all made. Not for agreement. this no. child. No. Poor fucking baby. Holy fuck. Ugh. Ponder explained more about the rebirthing process. She said, quote, you'll have a chance to act as a newborn baby. You'll have to kick and scream and fight through a pretend birth canal. Birth is a hard thing. You'll need to work hard. It'll be tight in there, but you'll have lots of air to breathe. When you get through the birth canal, you'll need to reach out for your new mom, end quote. Candace yawned quite a bit as they talked, and Ponder asked if she'd gotten enough sleep. The child said that she had had a nightmare the night before, a nightmare where she thought she was being murdered and that she was going to die. Chills, 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 chills. Ponder said, quote, that's not going to happen now because you have a mom who loves you. This is just all bad news. It's all that. It's all that. Oh no. It's all that. No. It's just gonna get worse. I see the future and I hate it. Yes. Get out of here. Okay. At 9 44 a.m., Watkins joined the session. The therapist had with her a blue queen size flannel sheet which she spread on a pad on the floor. They had Candace lay down on the sheet on her left side in a fetal position. Ponder wrapped the sheet around her, tucking in each side. Then she gathered and twisted the top over her head. Watkins placed four pillows around Candace. Jack McDaniel and Britta St. Clair now entered the room, as well as Jean. They positioned themselves around the girl, with Ponder and Jean near the top of her head, where Candace would eventually emerge to be reborn. For the record, birth is like a one and done thing. We don't need to do it twice. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. No. I mean, also, <laughs> allegedly, it's the most traumatizing thing that'll ever happen to you. Yeah. So again, we don't need one to do and done. Again. We don't. Yeah. No. no. I'm good, actually. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm very woo woo, and I'm all for like symbolic bullshit. But like, do we need to do this? I don't know. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I won't. Agreed. Not. Not. I don't think so. Definitely not after yeah. hear about what happens. Spoiler. Hot take. Ugh. They spoke to Candace through the twisted opening. Then Watkins and her three associates seated on the floor began to press on the pillows, pushing in from the sides and top to simulate birth contractions. Jean stood to the left and behind Ponder, watching and encouraging Candace to be reborn. They told the 10-year-old to push, but she didn't. At least not hard enough. Candace sounded confused and repeatedly asked, quote, where do I come out? End quote. After 10 minutes, she began to plead. So the following is from the transcript of the video recording the session. And spoiler, it's really disturbing and it's really upsetting. So you've been warned. This is a great time to take a big old swig of that drink or to pause and make yourself one or any other thing to get through this because it's just going to go 
really fucking awful really quickly. <sighs> okay. I'm braced. Yeah. I don't have a drink, but I'm, I've mentally prepared myself. Okay. I don't either, and I know how this goes, and I definitely should have made myself one. Fuck. If Monique's saying that, shit. I done talked up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm laughing because that's just the defense mechanism. It's just like at an 11 right now. Oh. Ponder. Come out head first. You have to push really hard with your feet. If you stay in there, you're going to die and your mommy's going to die. At eight minutes and 42 seconds in, Candace says, who's sitting on me? I can't do it. At eight minutes and 53 seconds, I can't do it. Candace starts crying. My hands come out first. Watkins, sometimes it takes 18 hours to be born. At 9 minutes and 36 seconds, Candace is screaming. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. At 10 minutes and 16 seconds, whoever is pushing on my head, it's not helping. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. It's too dark under here. Please quit pushing on my head. I can't do it. Somebody's sitting on top of me. At 10 minutes and 50 seconds, Candace is moaning. Somebody's on top of me. Where am I supposed to come out? Right here, where my finger is? At 11 minutes and 26 seconds, I can't do it. She screams. I'm gonna die. Ponder. Do you want to be reborn or do you want to stay in there and die? 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Quit pushing on me, please. And she's moaning. Quit squishing my legs. I'm going to die now. And she screams. Ponder. Do you want to die? Candace. No, but I'm about to. <gasps> At 12 oh. minutes and 10 seconds. Please, please, I can't breathe. 12 minutes, 30 seconds. I can't do it anymore. 12 minutes, 40 seconds. Please quit pushing on me. But they don't stop. Watkins and her associates keep pressing on the pillows. At 13 minutes and 12 seconds, I need some help. 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 Help me, please. Watkins, are you feeling the contractions, mom? Jean, I am. Because granted, she's part of this I, whole thing. Watching this whole thing happen. I cannot handle this for one fucking second. These people are fucking trash dude this is like the milgram experiment like playing out in real life this right is now. it's oh gonna get so much worse i know the oh oh fuck all of take these a, people i can't take a swig I it's can't. real bad at 13 minutes and 43 seconds where am i to go right here right here i'm supposed to go right here please please she screams Okay, I'm dying. I'm sorry. 14 <gasps> minutes, 31 seconds. Okay, I'm dying. 14 minutes, 38 seconds. I'm gonna die. 15 minutes, 30 seconds. I want to die. 16 minutes, 8 seconds. Can you let me have some oxygen? You mean like, you want me to die for real? Ponder. Uh-huh. Candace. Die right now and go to heaven? Ponder. Go ahead and die right now. For real. For real. Candace. This okay. fucking bitch. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, my rage level is just yep. off the fucking charts right now. I can't yep. even. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. Bracing myself. Continue. Yeah. Candace, 
Okay, I'm dead. Candace's protests grew more insistent. Within the first 24 minutes, she told them seven times she couldn't breathe. Within the first 16 minutes, she told them six times that she was going to die. Watkins, it's not always easy to live. You have to be really strong to live a life, a human life. 17 minutes and seven seconds. Candace's breathing is labored. Get off. I'm sick. Get off. Where am I supposed to come out? Where? But how do I get there? Watkins, just go ahead and die. It's easier. It takes a lot of courage to be born. 18 minutes, 26 seconds. You said you would give me oxygen. Watkins, you got to fight for it. <gasps> oh, this fucking cunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. 19 minutes, 50 seconds. Candace vomits. Okay, I'm throwing up. I just threw up. She continues to vomit. She says, I gotta poop. I gotta poop. A minute and a half later, Candace soils herself. Watkins, stay in there with the poop and vomit. 23 minutes, 22 seconds. Help, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's hot. I can't breathe. Jean, I'm so excited to have this baby. I'm waiting for you, to love you and hold you. Ponder. Scream, Candace. Candace. No. Jean. Baby, I love you already. I'll hold you and love you and keep you safe forever. Don't give up on your life before you have it. False! False. Oh, Correct. you are failing at that literally right now in this moment. At this moment, yes. At 27 minutes, 19 seconds, Candace is whimpering and gagging. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Ponder. Candace? And there's no response. She takes another pillow from Jean. Ponder says, she needs more pressure over here. So she can't, so she really needs to fight. 31 minutes into the session, the only noise that's really heard is Candace whimpering. She's asked, are you okay? Candace gagging faintly, says no. Between 32 minutes and 25 seconds and 33 minutes and 44 seconds, Jack McDaniel repositions himself on the pillow over Candace's head. Watkins and her associates increased their pressure on the pillows. To gain leverage, Watkins braced her feet against a couch and ponder against a brick hearth. Together, the four adults weighed 673 pounds. <gasps> Candace weighed 70 pounds. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Watkins, getting pretty tight in here. Ponder, yep, less and less air all the time. Between 35 minutes and 39 seconds and 40 minutes, Ponder and McDaniel reposition themselves again. Ponder, she gets to be stuck in her own puke and poop. Watkins, uh-huh, it's her own life, quitter. At 40 minutes into the session, Jean Newmaker asked Candace, Baby, do you want to be born? A faint no can be heard from underneath the pillows. <sighs> that was Candace's last word. Nearly 20 minutes passes with no respiratory <gasps> sounds that are audible, but they all still believe that Candace is being defiant and resisting the treatment, so they continue to goad her. Watkins. Candace is used to making her life everybody else's problem. She's not used to living her own life. Ponder. Quitter. 
quitter, 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 quit, 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 quit. She's a quitter. Ponder reaches into the blanket and touches Candace's face. She tells Watkins, quote, Oh, I'm not sure. I touched her face and it's just sweaty. She's not answered. We could do this forever. Just stay here. End quote. After another minute, Jean becomes distressed. But not because she believes that her daughter might be in some sort of danger, but because she feels rejected. Because Candace isn't, quote unquote, making an effort to be born. Watkins asks her to leave the room, saying that she doesn't want Candace to, quote-unquote, pick up on your sorrow. So Jean goes upstairs and cries. Watkins joins her briefly, encouraging her not to give up. Then Watkins returns to the rebirthing session, which Jean watches from upstairs on a closed-circuit TV monitor. McDaniel. This baby doesn't want to live. She's a quitter. Moments later, Watkins asks McDaniel and Britta St. Clair to leave the room. Now Ponder and Watkins are alone with Candace. The two therapists chit-chat for four or five minutes about their dream homes and a million-dollar property nearby that was being remodeled. Then, 70 minutes into the session, and 30 minutes after Candace's last word, they decide to unwrap Candace Newmaker. Watkins, let's talk to the twerp. They unwrap Candace, and her face is pale and flecked with vomit. Her lips and fingers are blue, and her skin is clammy. At 1 hour and 9 minutes and 53 seconds, Watkins says, Oh, there she is, sleeping in her vomit. This was hard. She couldn't do it. She wanted to go to the bathroom. She was tired. She didn't want to be reborn. Watkins then calls out Candace's name, and there's no response. Watching on the monitor, Jean Newmaker heard the anxiety in Watkins' voice. She rushed downstairs and saw Candace, and she looked blue. She began performing CPR on her daughter. <gasps> oh. My. God. The chills from that. Okay. Uh-huh. Hours after being airlifted from Watkins' house, Candace Newmaker was pronounced brain dead by doctors at Children's Hospital in Denver. Her severe brain injury, they said, was due to, quote, mechanical asphyxiation, end quote, which occurred while she was, quote, restrained during therapy session, end quote. Candace was 10 years old. Uh, my rage level uh-huh. right now yeah. is literally murderous. Like, yeah. I have never... Mm-hmm wanted someone to actively kill themselves and i think that's like where my brain is going that's like how absolutely i am upset about this that like that what these people lived with themselves after this i couldn't i literally could not i i can't even imagine it and Fucking it's in. that thing of like after all the shit they said like four adults in the room and it's recorded you being that fucking trash and murdering a little girl is on fucking videotape forever. Absolutely. Yep. I cannot. I. Yeah. <sighs> so word of the girl's death spread like wildfire in the small town of Evergreen. And Connell Watkins was quick to do damage control. In an email to supporters, she explained that the whole thing had been a horrible accident. She proclaimed her innocence, writing, quote, Somehow the 10-year-old inexplicably stopped breathing. End quote. Which... Go fuck yourself. Literally. Inexplicably, you had 700 pounds on top of a seven-year-old girl. Go fuck yourself. For over an hour. 
yes. you piece of shit. While she begged. While she kept saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to poop. Hell, I can't breathe. Please get off my head. I'm going to die. Literally, repeatedly. Yes. Inexplicably, though. And that they could have never caused this little girl's death and <gasps> urged supporters to, quote, pray for total dismissal of all charges, oh, end quote. my God. Eat the biggest bag of dicks that's ever been fucking made. Monique. 10,000%. And- I, I, The yeah. flipping the table. I, yes. I, I want to so badly. It's, yes. I'm lucky yes. it's literally zip tied to this other table because- Yes. As if it wasn't bad enough that this poor child had the traumatic life that she had, that her mother literally threw out a fucking second story window, then she has to go through this also. This therapy, under the this guise therapy, of therapy, that you're going to fucking help me? Get the fuck out of here. Disgusting. Disgusting, despicable human beings, and I cannot believe, I cannot believe they fucking made excuses for themselves. Absolutely. And being like, uh, we don't, she just stopped breathing all of a sudden. What the fuck are you talking so about? So weird. And as Amy pointed out a couple minutes ago, she had videotaped the entire rebirthing session. And upon investigating, the Jefferson County District Attorney's Office realized that this was not a horrible accident, but a horrible crime. Yeah. No fucking shit. <laughs> like, yes. Like, Liddy, you're fucking delusional if you think otherwise. I know. And it's that thing like, when you know you done fucked up and you're like, not burn the evidence immediately. Seriously? Yeah. It was probably like a fucking VHS or some shit, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fuck these people. You can literally pull the fucking tape out and the thing is done. It's gone. Bye. Hello. <sighs> but I'm glad they did it because fuck these people. Yeah, seriously. In May 2000, prosecutors filed charges of reckless child abuse resulting in death against Connell Watkins and three of her associates. Days later, they charged Jean Newmaker as well on a lesser count of negligent child abuse resulting in death. In the spring of 2001, after a three-week trial in which they viewed the 70-minute videotape of Candace Newmaker's rebirthing therapy session twice, oh, i.e. her death, jurors deliberated for about five hours and found Connell Watkins and Julie Ponder both guilty of reckless child abuse resulting in death. They were both sentenced to 16 years in prison, which That's I think is it? light as fuck as fuck because they didn't also, just like kill a child they tortured her to death a hundred fucking percent in front of her mother and made her mother participate in her fucking torture and death yes that's yes. like adding insult to injury yes Ugh. absolutely also, just like obviously everyone understands this but i feel like it needs to be said in this way uh they made this jury watch a snuff film like yes that is Twice. literally what happened. Twice they had to watch I, it. I can't even, I can't even fucking imagine that. Uh -huh. Can you imagine being on that fucking jury? No. I hope they no. all had therapy afterwards. That was paid for it. by yeah. the government. <laughs> Probably not, but that Probably should have been included. Yeah. Yeah. It's Ugh. also 2001. We're less like, you know, cool yeah. about shit. Britta St. Clair and Jack McDaniel, the two assisting quote unquote therapy parents, originally faced identical charges to Watkins and Ponder but struck a plea bargain made after the other's convictions and pled guilty to the lesser felonies of negligent child abuse. They received 10 years probation and a thousand hours of community service. Again, got off scot-free. What the fuck? Yeah. Jean Elizabeth Newmaker faced the lesser charge of criminal negligent child abuse. 
carrying a possible four to 16 year prison sentence. In another plea bargain, she was able to get a minimum sentence of four years. The sentence was deferred for four years, effectively making it probation. Though at the end of the term, her official record will be cleared of the charge. I don't think that's necessary. I think we could leave it on there. Yeah, leave it on there. Everyone needs to know that she assisted in murdering her daughter. I think that's, yes, correct. She literally stood by and watched people murder her daughter. Yes. And then in the middle of it, excused herself because she's like, my daughter isn't trying hard enough. She doesn't want me. She doesn't doesn't accept me. me. She keeps saying that she can't breathe, but she doesn't want me. And that she's going to die, but, like, I'm going to go away. Go fuck yourself. And there was a thing, like, the excuse that they made as to why they didn't listen to her is that they're like, well, you know, kids that are very, like, combative and difficult will say shit like that. And you have to, like, teach. But, like, they're talking about, like, when you take a kid to walk outside for, like, three blocks, like, I'm going to fucking die. That's not the same as having four adults lay on them and hearing the kid throw up. And, like, smelling it, I'm sure. Smelling the kid defecate themselves. Then you're like, hey, okay, we're going to stop this. And we're going to try again tomorrow. Instead of yelling quitter at her repeatedly. And twerp. And, like, go ahead and die. Oh, my God. This isn't a kid that, like, you ask to clear the table and then does that, like, the Paul Rudd thing in Wet Hot American Summer where he's like, ugh. It's (laughs) not remotely the same thing. A kid screaming and crying that they're going to fucking die and you hear them vomiting and you're doing this for an hour and a half. Look at your life. Look at your choices. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. On June 6, 2008, Connell Watkins was released from prison and was last heard to be completing her sentence in a Denver area halfway house where she was under, quote, intense supervision, end quote which included wearing an ankle bracelet that monitored her whereabouts. And as part of her release agreement, Watkins cannot be employed in any type of psychological consulting or counseling profession. There are also restrictions on the types of contact she can have with minors. Okay, I was going to say, and please tell me she's never allowed around a kid ever fucking again. Yeah, I mean, not. I don't think it's exactly that, but... <sighs> but there are some yes, rules but and restrictions like, in place. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I could find on Julie Ponder was that she was serving her prison sentence at La Vista Correctional Facility. And that was like in 2008. Uh, I, you know, when they had, they had a 16 year sentence, they got sentenced 2001. So I'm assuming they got out 2017. Can't find anything else. During the last week of the trial, Colorado Governor Bill Owens signed Candace's law, which bans reenactment of the birth process when it uses restraint that carries a risk of death or physical injury. The bill had been drafted and passed before all the facts about Candace's treatment had been revealed at trial. So it was like, just hearing like, like the headline of it, I was like, okay, yeah. we need to squash this shit right this motherfucking now. Signing the law immediately. Where's it's like fucking pen. Yeah. I thanks. have not, I have not watched the 70 minute snuff film and I'm already like, this is a fucking problem. Absolutely yeah, fucking not. I got the Cliff Notes version and that's enough. I'm not into it. Yeah. The Colorado, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to read the book, by the way. No, thanks. (laughs) Let's not and say we did. How about that? Yes. The Colorado law bans all psychotherapies from using active restraint. Yes. And that is the horrifying and enraging story of Candace Newmaker. 
Monique. I told you it was fucking terrible. You did such a good job at the story, <laughs> but it was so horrible. And I just, Thank I like, you. actually, like, I feel very violent. Like, I feel like I yeah. somebody should take me to like a punching bag or something. Right yeah. Now. Like, I feel like I really need to get all of this anger out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Candace, I can't. You did not deserve any of that. No. I hate all of those people, yeah. and they really got off so fucking easy. They got off so fucking easy, and it's that thing. Mm. I remember, I remember watching like a dissection of um, of The Shining, and talking about that the thing that made it so scary is that as a child, your parent is the one who's supposed to protect you and supposed to keep you safe. So yes. you have two parents. You have her biological parents who abuse the fuck out of her, throw her out of a fucking second story window. She gets removed from those people because they're so dangerous and neglectful to go into the hands of this other woman that all she says is, I want what's best for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I want you to love me. And then again, they she doesn't keep her safe when she's watching her daughter scream and cry that she can't breathe and vomit on herself and defecate on herself. And at no point is she like, can we fucking stop? I, I paid you 7000 fucking dollars. Can we stop? Yes. Oh. Oh my because God. Because yeah. what I... was more important to her was her feelings of being fucking accepted than her daughter's well-being. And every adult fucking failed this girl. And it's so fucking enraging that it literally just makes me want to flip a table. Like I yes, the the visceral rage is fucking real right now. Yeah. Uh yeah, I like I just am picturing my mom in this situation and this like literally Absolutely not. This would not no. fly for ten fucking seconds. No. My mom okay. I broke my collarbone in first grade and they took me to the fucking hospital and the doctor tried to tell my mother that I didn't have a broken collarbone and they would not give me an x-ray and my mother told them that absolutely not. She knew me as a, she knew me because I'm a fucking daughter and she knew something was wrong because I had never acted like that before and demanded that they gave me a fucking x-ray and guess what? I had a fucking broken collarbone the whole fucking time. Yes. Yes. Correct. Ugh. No. Absolutely. I thought about this. No. I'm like, there's my mother, Marielena would not let the ship fly at the fuck all. At the fuck oh, all. Oh, I thought that too. I was like, you get so much shit from your mother and she would still not for one fucking second no. let this happen to you because that is absolutely against the fundamental code of like mama bear. Yes. Like mama bear. Yes. No. Oh. And to go that long. That long. That long uh. hearing your daughter say, I can't breathe, screaming, cry. I'm going to throw up. Like, throwing up is such a fucking visceral thing. And hearing her, like, gagging and gurgling and being like, no, this is fine. And, like, it's 2001. We're all aware of the fact that people can choke on their own vomit and die. Like, that's a very well-known thing. That's not a thing we just discovered recently. And being like, my daughter's rejecting me. Go fuck yourself. Get over your insecurities. Seriously? Ugh. Jesus Christ. This poor girl. I should have gotten a a fact. (laughs) A cute animal fact? I should have gotten a cute animal fact. Oh. I was like, I was trying to think of one right off the top of my head, but I can't. All of them are weird sex things. I don't know. (laughs) I know cows have best friends. Do they? Yeah. That's really cute. I needed that. That was was good. There you go. Well, (laughs) 
Call me a cow, Monique, because you, girl, my best friend. Right back the at you, baby. The story was amazing. Thank you. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, it was obviously tragic and awful and terrible, but yeah. you did a wonderful job at presenting the horror and tragedy and senselessness of this. Yeah. And it's, it's this type of thing that it's like, I kind of wish we didn't have this podcast. Like, I kind of wish like there was no stories like this to be told, you know? Yeah. But yes. people are fucking trash. So here yes. we are. That the story ended with like, oh, it lasted like 10 minutes like they said it would. And she was birthed perfectly fine. And she bonded with her mother and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. Which is how the story should have ended. Not like every... FYI. Yeah. Watson. Ponder. You're a cunt. That's... Yeah. (laughs) Again, eat the biggest bag of dicks. I can't. Oh, God. So, yeah. um, I don't know. It it was a tough one to end on. It was... uh, (laughs) Thank you for sharing that with us, though. Uh, we need to know that horrible things like this happen. Sure. Uh, under the guise of therapy and making yeah. people better. And again, she and wasn't wellness. accredited. She didn't have credentials because you don't need one in Colorado, apparently. Ugh. You you should need credentials, yeah. too. Yes. Deal with people's mental health. I'm just going to like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, everything's awful and I hate everyone. Cool. Well, at least... Hey! On the bright side, you have given me a fantastic reason to start drinking early today. So Yay! I'm going to take it as a win. Going to go get drunk. Don't hate you, though. Love you so much. Love you so much. Thanks so much for your story. Thank you for your story. And guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope you continue listening after this fucking awful... We didn't awfulness that. Uh, that we did to you. Um, if you don't already follow us on the gram at another fucking horror podcast, you can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode is our True Listener Tales episode where we read your stories that you write in the crazy shit. We finally got Amy a UFO story and. I've never seen this. Yes. Uh, so if you want to send us your stories about anything that's fucking nuts, let everybody know. You can email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the U and fucking. Guys, thanks so much. We're obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.